0: a thoughtful faith podcast is a production of mormon stories and the open stories foundation all donations to a thoughtful faith are tax deductible and go directly towards keeping the podcast alive and towards building a community of support for mormons like you to support the podcast or to join the community Please become a monthly subscriber today at athoughtfulfaith.org.
1: Okay, so
2: this is like painful for me to hear, and I, I'm glad I'm having this conversation. I mean, obviously it's not something that I, I, I really know a lot about. Um,
0: Because you're part of the club,
2: right? No. As soon as Jeff said it, I was like, "I'm in the club."
0: It's a good club. I've
2: got got other. I've got other ways that I'm being pushed out of the club, but it's not this. But it's not that. It's not this. And I, yeah, and I, I think that that will always tie me back to Mormonism, right? Because I might, I may be pushed out in other ways, but I've still got my children that will always maybe pull me back in. So I. I'm really feeling kind of insecure, I think, a little bit, just realizing that I don't know that I've been aware enough and enough. sensitive enough, so and
3: that's been hard for me is because I don't feel i, I maybe mean, we don't say that I, I don't feel that pull back into mormonism i don't I don't feel like I even know it's it's just church. It's not something I feel like I belong to in that sense,
2: right, and I can understand. Always being on the outside, never feeling like you're invited in. That would get old
0: really, really Uh, fast. Yeah, and like we mentioned, we've been married for 20 years, so it's not like this has been a short period of time. Right. It's been half our lives.
2: Well, let's talk about your daughter, though. You you had a baby, and and you mentioned it kind of changed there for a little while. So talk about that. What was that like, the switch?
3: Well, as soon as she was pregnant, it it really was like we... Got the, the pass in. People accepted Amy. And now it was all this talk about the baby and the pregnancy. And people just it was like, whoa. And we were in the same. You felt world. like
0: you had some common um, bond with other people, you know? Because before you didn't know what it was like to be pregnant. You don't know what it's like to have kids. And finally, you're going through a pregnancy. You're having a child. So you finally have this common bond with, you know, women. Particularly, but I think men too. Well, you you had things to talk about, yeah. And I think that was the problem. Is I think a lot of the women who have never
3: worked, they've just gone right into having the babies. It wasn't like they were intentionally trying to ostracize Amy, but they had no No. idea what to say to her. Yeah. Uh, How's your job? Because you're not really supposed to be working. I mean, if you're doing what you're really supposed to be doing, it would be. At home having babies, you shouldn't be working, so I don't want to talk about that. (laughs) I don't know, it just was awkward. Must have a really
0: cool job. (laughs)
3: Yeah, now she, she was, she had something in common and people, it was just a, it was a very new feeling and it felt great. It felt really nice socially to be at church all of a sudden.
0: Yeah, socially it wasn't painful anymore. Where for that eight and a half years, extremely painful. You
3: could go through a testimony meeting without having to hear somebody say, that had just had a baby, which was every testimony meeting. I'm so grateful that God entrusted trusted me enough to bless me with this baby, and me thinking, "Wow, He really doesn't trust me at all because He won't give me a baby." Or it's just those kinds of comments. Just next time you're yeah, in that's one meeting, of
0: a million. Comments. Listen
3: to the comments people say relating to their children and how they're blessed with them, and how they've been.
2: And, you know, I'm sitting here thinking about single sisters, single men, Mm -hmm. um, gay men and women. Anybody who's in a situation where their family or the dynamic is not going to fit. And I'm just feeling lonely. We've walked out of sacrament
3: testimony meetings multiple times in tears. Because it was so... Yeah,
0: and this is just one of, like you said, many displacements that you can... Find across the board that I don't think people talk about I don't think people realize unless they're in it so right.
3: you know you're sitting in the meeting we'd sit in whatever halfway back or something and your view is kids and families all together happy holding these babies they're all around you and you're listening to talks about multiplying It's how many talks how many testimonies center on their children and the blessings of children and being entrusted with the children. And you know, it's just, (laughs) how do you feel anything but terribly sad? And then nobody talks to you. Nobody seems to care at all about you. You're just, you're nothing. Yeah.
2: So how long did the period of being in the club last? How, I mean, you have, you have your daughter. It's obviously a wonderful thing. And you, do you feel like, Okay, now we're back in the club and
0: yeah. start. Well, I think it's like about three years, probably. So
3: how long before
0: you're supposed to have another you're one? You're supposed
3: to have another because <laughs> one kid's not okay. It's a it's a different. You, you get kicked right out again, honestly. Two or three years. Well, what what happened with her is about two years. Two and, well, and a half two years. and a half years. She got really sick and ended up. We were in the hospital for yeah. She most almost of a year, died. Lost a kidney. It was a. Your daughter, yeah, primary children's up the wazoo. It was. uh,
0: She did nine surgeries. It was. Yeah. She was in there for about a year.
3: It was horrible, and we we did actually experience what how great the church can be there because people were the Mormon church knows how to handle crises like that. Bringing the meals, presents, kind words—they're all over you, and that's one. You know, we got to experience firsthand what it. The support can be like yeah um during that because they were one every, everybody in our ward we actually moved right before that happened so we were in a new ward had only been in it gosh two months i don't remember yeah we moved in november and it's happened in january right over christmas is when it started and they were great i mean they were so kind to us during that whole time yes so, very it was it was a good so- to experience that
2: Okay, there, there is some, some things happening in our culture where we know how to respond to crisis. We know how to empathize when it's something like this, mm-hmm. right? When it's a present, visible trial, but we don't know how to respond when it's something, I guess, less, I don't know, I, I don't know, I'm trying trials. to get to the bottom of it. I
3: think that there are ex- a set of acceptable,
0: um, more well-known, or visible, well-known like you said, trials. trials. And then there's other things that, other underlying things, you know, kind of, that are happening trial-wise that people either aren't acceptable or people don't relate to, they don't want to see, they don't want to talk about let's just fast and pray for them and it'll all work out i'll I'll tell you what i think it is
3: okay there are things that happen to you that people perceive happen to you a death an illness a birth all these things just happen right anything that anyone perceives as could have been your fault you don't talk about that because that's consequence of sin so a a teenage Mm -hmm. girl's having an eating disorder there's no support for that. You don't talk about it. You don't acknowledge that it's happening. Um,
2: because it's her
3: A kid, a, a, t- a boy who's a 16-year-old having a drinking problem, it may be whispered about if he's breaking the word of wisdom, but there's nobody that's going to acknowledge that and say, we love you anyway. Um, yes. So many pornography problems that you see now. Do you see anybody...
2: Right, embracing <laughs> the guy. If you find
3: out there was a guy in our ward that had that, they got divorced, shunned. You know, he actually ended up getting uh, back into the church, did great, got, actually got remarried, wonderful. No one still would talk about that. That's a, that's a non-thing that happened. Why would we not embrace him twice as much? I just feel like, and this goes back to what I saw as a kid, how we, we view, I viewed all these perfect families. They weren't perfect, but, but you've got to act about it. like they're perfect. We're not allowed to be not perfect. When the whole point of a church, in my mind, especially this church, when we're we're striving towards perfection, but we we all acknowledge that we're never supposed to get there, and that's fine. And people always say, "Well, I know that I make mistakes, and I'm not perfect." And what are the examples that I heard as a youth, and I hear now? Sometimes I, I maybe think a mean thought, or those are the examples of what aren't perfection. I'm thinking, "Why well, do that all the time?" What nobody would ever get up and acknowledge. A real thing. We could never say that.
2: So what you're saying is, if we had, if we were more honest about what our imperfections are, and and really acknowledge that, um, that perfection is not something that anybody, uh, how do I want to say this? It's almost like if we could if we could look at it more honestly and more openly, yeah. then nobody's going to be shocked, and you're not going to have this divide between the things that are acceptable to talk about and an approach because it's not your fault, and the things that people are afraid of. Because I, I'd actually, you know, my my own view of God is that He wasn't punishing you, right? Yeah, and that He wasn't actively right. doing any, and you weren't sinning.
0: No. Yeah. But
2: for some reason, even the intimation that maybe it is your fault is enough that you're excluded.
0: Yeah, and I think kind of relating these two things together, I feel like that's how we're taught as youth is this is how your life's supposed to go and you're not supposed to stray. And if you do stray, we're not going to really talk about it. We're going to act like everything's okay. And that creates this big club that we've been talking about, that people don't really see anything else. And if they're a part of it, then it's great and it's wonderful and everybody's happy. But if you're not, then it feels very alone and isolating. And I think there's so many different ways in that people feel alone and isolated. And I think it's because it's not talked about and people don't acknowledge it. And like Jeff said, there are appropriate things that people trials and things that people will discuss and help out with, but then there's all these other little underlying things that are happening that people just want to sweep under the rug.
1: Right.
3: Well, and this may be a tangent, but, you know, I've studied things like, and I've listened to lots of different podcasts. I got my undergraduate degree was like family science. I was going to be a therapist. But you study things like what creates addictive cycles is shame. It's one of the main things that turns... Maybe some initial poor choices into like a literally habitual addiction type thing. So, when we treat any problem, and pornography is a big concept, you know, some teenage boy, they're going to see it. I mean, the internet's out there. I don't care how bad they try to not see something like that. But if you see it and you're not allowed to say a word about it, because if you were to mention that even to your parents, oh my goodness, how horrible am I? You instantly have shame. And then, Nothing like that can be talked about. Shame is an inherent piece of the natural part of life where we make mistakes. And imagine if that kid could openly say, you know, in in priest quorum, "I, I saw something and I feel bad about it. And there was love and acceptance. And let's talk about that. You take the shame away, you know.
0: And I think in our situation, we felt so much shame about taking so long to have kids, not being able to have kids since Michaela and nobody wants to talk about it with us. Nobody asks about it, nobody wants to talk about it, and I think that, I think it would make it more enjoyable to go to church. I think I would not feel so much shame if it was discussed, and I think it's gotten better. You know, there's Facebook groups now, and I think it's getting better, but I think before, recently, nobody wants to talk about that. And I think, me personally, I've suffered so much guilt and shame for so many years, and if somebody would have just talked to me and just, you know, or it was discussed in a lesson, you know, and made it seem like it's okay and, and, you know, there are people that are different, I think it just would have helped so much. Right. So much.
2: But I want to even go, I mean, just for my personal, I I feel like even that, if I had to experience loneliness, I'm not someone who does well with loneliness. Like, loneliness for me (laughs) is something that, my I know, like I'll spiral downward if I'm too lonely. And I mean, a, a lesson is nice, but I need a friend, yeah, <laughs> you know? and I think if
0: people I think if people talked about it more, then I think you would maybe find more friends and everybody would try to relate a little bit more to each other. And obviously, just like a lesson is just one of many things that could change, I think, the culture and help so many people not feel shame and alone and because you start to feel like I always felt like there's something wrong with me you know it's not every, it's not everybody else it's me and I'm just this different person and um, you know so you just end up feeling bad all the time you kind of take a lot of the blame because again you feel like you're kind of the only one out there
2: okay so I want to talk about this idea um and and I know that um I know that you must have encountered this. I'm just guessing, but, and I I think that probably some of our listeners are probably thinking the same thing, which is, well, just don't be offended and don't be hurt, right? Like, you can choose. Right. No, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I want you guys to talk to those people or, you know, to, to, because there is an assumption, there is this idea. And we're always told, you know, people who leave the church leave because they get offended. Yeah. A conference oh, talks yeah. about it, messages about it, yeah. um, and it becomes their problem. They don't—they don't know how to not be offended. They don't know how to deal with the fact that other—that we're all not perfect. They don't know how to not be hurt, right? How to mm. put on their tough skins and. What yeah. would you say? What do you say to that? What do you talk? I mean. Well,
3: I think personally, I don't believe that it is. an I, I do think it's a very legitimate reason. I think getting. I think when we say that concept of you shouldn't leave. Oh, they're just offended. Well, th- why is that such a simple thing to be offended? I mean, if somebody just were to say some mean concept con- or word to you or or maybe you had a disagreement in a leadership meeting and somebody just wasn't nice to you. Yeah, that's petty. Forgive them, right? But there are different levels of offended, and if you're treated borderline abusively, and I'm not, I'm not trying to say that what we've described to you and how we were treated was abusive. We were just ignored. I mean, but I, I mean, I've, and we can talk about it more later. We've gone through some pretty, as we reached out for help or tried to later on. I would say that was getting into the very offensive. Way we were treated, and I I don't agree that it's not a legitimate reason. If you go every week to church and you have to spend the next four hours when you get home in separate rooms crying and recovering, how long are you going to keep? How how long is anybody going to keep that up? And have isn't it supposed to be uplifting? And if the uplifting is gone, because you're not going to feel the spirit if you're feeling just depressed and sad, and I get I got to where come Saturday I know church is coming, you know gear up why am I gearing up for church? It's supposed to be this uplifting, wonderful thing.
0: It was almost like an anxiety feeling. Oh my gosh, we got to go to church. And it's like, you don't want to go, but you feel like you have to go. You probably will feel worse if you don't go. So you just make yourself go. But every fiber in your being does not want to go. And it's not because, you know... You don't, you don't believe. believe in what they're talking about. It's just, you just don't feel good. You don't feel like you belong. A lot of things, and people aren't meaning to say things, but the lessons, testimonies, comments that people say hurt, you know? And the whole, I mean, the whole time you're just like, oh. And you come home and, you know, it does sound like an exaggeration, what Jeff said, but we would literally go in separate rooms and cry, a lot of times. I mean not every week but many more often than not we would do that.
2: And I'm also I again if I mean I'm just thinking of myself as being a member of the club. But it really is easy for someone in the club who's not being offended constantly, who's not being hurt by words constantly to say don't be offended. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's so easy because you know, oh, they offend me every once in a while. That that's no big deal. But yeah, I, I I'm just.
3: Well, I'd say try sitting in priesthood or Relief Society for the last word we were and probably six years. I don't think anybody sat next to me once in priesthood. Most times I would sit by myself and not be. And and I guess you could say, well, be more outgoing. Well, I'm I'm not totally unoutgoing, but I'm not. I don't know. Especially if I don't feel welcome, it's hard to. If you don't feel totally welcome to thrust yourself on somebody and sit down next to somebody. Especially when you've been there for several months and nobody's ever shown any interest. It just feels like you're forcing yourself. I'm not the kind of person who wants to force myself on somebody. If you want to be my friend, great. you know. and, And so you sit in these lessons and then maybe ones about fathers and sons. That's a real tough one to sit through when you realize that your odds of having a son are nil. And that's the source of a lot of pain. And maybe one week you get up and leave... And peers, and no one follows you. No one asks about you. Instead, you get this thing of why did he leave church early? Why did he, why isn't, you know? Right. <laughs> that's the reaction, not are you okay? Um,
2: Can we talk about some of the things that happened where, where, you know, that maybe did become maybe the catalyst of starting to think, like, wait a minute. Yeah. Let's, uh, m- maybe it's not worth it anymore.
3: Well, and the first thing I'd say is we've talked kind of about offended stuff, and even though I say it's, I believe it's absolutely a legitimate reason for people to not go, I don't necessarily think it has to equate to not believe, but certainly we, we should be a lot more sympathetic of people who are not coming because of an offense, and we should not label them that and say, uh, you're over there. You don't deserve my support or love or I don't know because it's, you're bringing it on yourself. Whatever people think because there's not a lot of outreach to people who leave for that reason, but I would not say that up to this point I would label anything that had happened as offensive. I would have said, you know, um, I don't blame them for. I don't think people are intentionally getting up there and saying there's something in their testimony meeting. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't blame people for that, but I still felt sad. It was more just I'm sad all the time when I'm at church. Um, we did finally. So after after she got better we started trying again and back into the miscarriage cycle then we transitioned we finally gave up which was very very sad and we started into adoptions and just that's a horrible experience <laughs> we had so many well, not positive. for everybody it's no some, people it, some people it works out some people
0: it works out lots of people it works it's out it's
3: it's especially hard i think with LDS adoption, which we could not afford anything else. Uh, they subsidized. So uh, we, we started with them, but we had a... Well, how old was she by this point? Eight? Seven?
0: No, seven? she was about six. Six. Mm-hmm.
3: So you're competing with a bunch of LDS families who have five kids and have had this moment of wanting another baby and feel like they can do some good. And that's great. But when some prospective mother... Who's maybe been raised in Utah decides to give their child up for adoption and thumbs through the profiles and finds all these large families and they see us with a six year old. Where do they see their baby fitting? And you hear all these stories of instant adoptions. We just felt good about it. We felt like it was the right thing to do. And boom, we got a baby. And you know, I'm like, how many kids did you have? LDS, they have actually made a new policy where you can't adopt if you've got more than three. So maybe that's it's
0: more than two.
3: Maybe it was two. Maybe. But that doesn't account for all the people in the system. That'll help people a few years down the line. We actually were finally told, basically you don't stand a chance, so stop. You know, go go for private. Privates are forty plus thousand dollars. Whereas an LDS we could have gotten for under ten. But she just said her 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 actual recommendation was us was to recommend a good grief counselor or support groups to deal with not being able to adopt. We did get picked one time, and it fell through. Um, that, was that was through LDS. The, that was through LDS. That was at the end. Other than that, there was...
0: She just said, you're too old. Your daughter's too old. It's not going to work out for you.
3: Then we we finally got to a point where we're like, if we don't do private, it isn't happening. But they were so expensive. This was like in 07. A bunch of friends of mine were making all this money on these real estate investments, as so many people did back then. And we were very, very against anything risky. But I didn't see how we would ever come up with the money. And we were so, you know, she was getting older. So I finally, we finally did it. We thought, we'll do this for six months. We'll invest as well. And, of course, two months after we did it, the crash hits. And we lost, I can't even, it's...
0: A lot (laughs) of money. It's painful.
3: Unbelievable amount of money. So it went from... Finally, in six months or so, we probably can do a private adoption to we'll never adopt, period. We'll never have the money to do it. And that was, I mean, not. (laughs) we thought we'd lose our house. Everything was lost. And uh, I was beyond distraught. I mean, it was over. We we were never going to have kids, any more kids. There was no hope for it. And so we were even in foster, and we weren't even getting picked through foster we had a bunch of fall through through that it was just like we were cursed and uh people got to the point where they wouldn't even believe our you know oh another one fell through yeah whatever you know (laughs) it's just like it it was unreal so when that happened i just i was seriously to the point of being suicidal i was so depressed um i
0: just thought everything's lost and I, i don't we don't reach out well he felt a lot of guilt for it you know, lose, losing the money, he felt like it was his fault, yeah. even though we looked into it for like eight months before we even did it. It clearly wasn't his fault, but he felt a lot of guilt that it was his fault. Plus the fact that it was really coming to a realization that this is never going to happen. Our daughter is going to be an only child. Wow. And this is like huge and upsetting. So it was and, a couple things. And it's
3: my fault because of what I did. <laughs> but, you know, and we never have been ones to reach out for help. I mean, we've we've been through all this and we've never we never asked for help. We've just dealt with what we've been going through. But well, you know, and the, another thing to preface this is we were in primary for the three years leading up to this and that's what actually kept us, it was the one bright light. I mean, maybe sacrament meeting was difficult, but we loved those kids. It was our daughter's class and we were with them. They let us, the primary president let us kind of just graduate with these kids for two, three, two, two years. It was, we were years. going into our third year. Went through all their baptisms together. It was really neat. It was what it just kind of felt like our kids kind of a thing. It, it made a, church bearable. It for did. A while. It was a tie-in, and we just loved them so much. We did a lot of stuff with these kids. So anyway, when that happens, I finally did call the bishop, and want to talk, and just I just didn't know what to do. I was seriously, I would have thought how I was going to kill myself. I was that depressed, and he came over and talked to me, and he did ask. I could tell he must have had some training. Um, what, what he actually did is tell me that he was so glad that what I was telling him was not some sin because if I was telling him a sin that would be so much harder but because it wasn't a sin I should be I should be grateful that I hadn't sinned this is something I can overcome I just I thought wow that's so invalidating uh, and then he did ask me if I had th- I'd been thinking of how I would do it so he, there must have been some training to that and I said yeah I have it all planned out he goes do you want to see like A counselor or somebody. I'm like, yeah, I think I really need that. He said he would. He gave me a blessing. I don't remember much about that. And he said he would reach out to me. And he never called me again. Never. In fact, at church, I was very embarrassed. I mean, it was that's a lot to tell somebody. He didn't even look at me. Didn't say hi to me. And never spoke to me for I think six months was the next time that I actually. I don't remember why I said something. We to
0: him. went in for tidings. Oh the, yeah! And he asked us how we were doing, and we both broke down when he asked us how we were doing. And then he was like, and then he said, he
3: told me he. He's, I'm
0: sorry I haven't
3: called you. And he said, I just didn't know what to say. I was just uncomfortable. I didn't know what to say to you. I said, even if you don't know what to say, just say something acknowledge me.
0: And then we started telling him, you know, when he asked like how we were doing we both started crying. We're like, we're just having such a hard time and all this has happened and he apologized for never talking to Jeff. And he went back to this, well just be glad that you guys are married and you have a strong marriage and you're not having affairs and there's no pornography. It could be so much worse. I I remember him specifically saying, you need to look at life with the glass half full, not half empty. And you guys are looking at life as the glass is half empty right now. And you need to stop. And, and I remember <laughs> just thinking, oh, my gosh. Like, I went in there hoping we'd get some help. And I left feeling, like, horrible. Like, we are horrible people. It was just, it was horrible.
3: He never spoke to me again after that. And I never would say hi. Very friendly guy.
0: And that's when we started, like, we can't do this anymore. And that's well, when we started going worse. more sporadically.
3: So then, at the same time, they just called the new primary president. And they were switching over and it's the end of the year. And they were switching classes and right. we said, "Can you please just you know we've, we've stayed with this class. This is we and she t- opened up to her, it was the first person that she had about how it was getting to the point where we could hardly handle coming because we were so it was so saddening to go to church. Can you please, this is the one thing that keeps us here. Can you please let us stay with these kids?" And she she actually then assigned us another class, and we said, please, just can you do this for us?" We, the kids all love us, and the response was to have, we got notified that we were released from our callings.
0: Uh, as, and she was also, had gotten. Well, she t- told me, you shouldn't ask me what to do with your calling. I'm an inspired leader, and I'll do what I see as fit. And I said, I understand that. I just want you to know this would really help us, you know, we're struggling going to church and I feel like this is one thing that really is something that we look forward to and I feel like we're good teachers and we make a difference in these children's lives. And she said, "Well, that's, you know, what I do is I mean, it was basically like that's totally inappropriate for you to even ask me to do this."
2: I I am thinking in terms of like majority minority. Yeah. And how we think about people who are on the outside and I think a lot of times we place blame right yeah like the people that are on the outside it's their fault they're not outgoing enough they're they're offended and so then you think oh well I don't want I you know they're they're probably going to take anything I say as offensive right and I don't I don't know what to say then because I don't want to be taken wrong or we expect them to to judge us, I think that just across the board, as human beings, yeah. this is an issue, right? Well,
3: it concepts just... like you don't challenge authority. I can see we we should not ask a leader to place us in a calling. It's there; they should be inspired to do that, and that's challenging their stewardship, right? Yeah, and I don't think these are norms. I do. I think we could have had a different primary president and a different bishop who would have treated us completely differently in those situations. And we cannot generalize and say, "Oh, everybody in the churches." Those were bad experiences, yes. period. Um, and I don't want to generalize those out and say this is this is how we would have been treated in even 80% of the situations. I think most people may have handled that differently, I hope.
2: Uh, yeah, I hope so too. And yeah. like, but I do think that this highlights, I think the situation, even though I do think that's extreme, right? I, yeah. I, I don't know that I've had a bishop at least I don't know because I've always been a part of the club right so I don't know but I do think that that as horrific as that is I I like to think of that as um as a small example of of the way people would respond but yeah but even though it's small I think there are probably people out there that would say oh yeah I've had that horrible experience with my bishop or that horrible experience with my Relief Society president or that that just because it's small doesn't mean that it's not important. Yeah. And, 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 these, are and men, these are
3: men. These are men. and We're just all people. I mean, what makes a bishop trained in any of this stuff? And I get that that most of them have no idea right. how to handle that situation. And again, it falls back into what I've experienced Whether it's American culture or Mormon culture, I don't know. All I know is I've experienced a Mormon culture growing up. But if the problem doesn't fit into the the correct problem bucket, you retract. You say nothing. And that's exactly what he did. He didn't know how to handle that. So his response, not that he hated me or disliked me, he didn't know what to do. And so he retracted. And he even told me that's what he was doing. He didn't know what to say. So he said nothing. Nothing. It blows my mind that that is something anybody could turn to as an appropriate response to to do nothing.
2: But we do it all the time. We do it all the time. And I I can't say
3: that I am not guilty of doing that sometimes. I'm sure that I am. I I hope that I'm a little more sympathetic because of the experiences I've been to, where I look for the, the outcast or the person who's sitting by themselves a little bit more. But I don't know that I do that.
0: And I do think, and I've said this many times, that a lot of, in our Mormon culture, it's more, and you hear people say it all the time, I've heard it through your podcast, where people will say, well, I'm praying for you. I'm fasting for you. You know, I put your name in the temple. Just read your scriptures more and it'll all work out. And sometimes you just want to say, you know what, forget all that. That's all nice and good at the end of the day. But, you know, it'd be nice if somebody would talk to you and just care about what's going on and ask you how you're doing and And extend a hand. Extend a hand. And all those other things, you know, putting your name in a temple, praying for you, those are all good. But sometimes you just want somebody to just talk to you and say that they care. Or
3: listen to you. Yeah, or
0: listen or not invalidate you or, you know. That's what I think is missing a lot in the Mormon culture.
3: For the the non-club members.
0: Right. Yeah. And I...
2: I'm thinking at it from a Christian perspective. Yeah. Nothing about, I mean, Christ didn't say, hold on to that. I'll go pray. Yeah. Right? I mean, he was so hands-on.
0: Yeah.
3: I mean, somebody, anybody, especially during that, that was a low point (laughs) year, if ever there was one. If anybody had even said, are you okay? Because after that, we we kept going. Despite this, I still kept going to church because I'm not, I was like, I'm not going to let myself get offended out of the church. But I have to say that that shook me quite a bit to where I started. And, and from a youth and my whole life, I, one of the big validating points of my testimony was, by their fruit ye shall know them. This differentiating thing I, that I perceived with Mormons versus non Mormons, that there was this unique goodness that was a proof that the gospel was true. Because look, look what it does in lives. But I was starting to have a really hard time having that point be validated anymore, to mm. where I could say, "What fruits am I seeing here? Am I being treated in a Christian way?" I mean, it was a question I had in my mind, a realization kind of a thing. It didn't make the gospel not true. You know, I went back to well, if the the people aren't perfect, but the gospel is. You know, that kind of stuff. So I still kept going, but I'd certainly something I kind of started sinking in a little bit more, weighing on me in the back of my mind. Um, We did, at that point, start having some weeks where we couldn't go. We just couldn't handle it. I mean, especially after that. We were so, I was so depressed. I mean, I was, (laughs) I didn't know how I was ever, how anything was ever going to be okay again. And so we got to where we would go sometimes and have to just leave because one of us would break down. No one would ever say anything about us leaving. And that that really, instead of people reaching out to us, it went to, we were, went to Outcast City. Not just ignored, but like, you, there. <laughs> and
2: I, gosh, and it is such a sensitive topic, but I want to, I mean, you had mentioned it, that there is kind of this idea of like, Though, you know, those whose problems are their own fault, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're suicidal and you just you need to be the glass is half full. You chose you, to invest need that need to, money. <laughs> right. You, you know, you need to. But also, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking that this experience is, has got to be, it is common in how people are rejected, how people are judged. Yeah. Um, people who do struggle with addiction, people who struggle with eating disorders people whatever it is that makes them outside of the club yeah the the feelings of alienation and loneliness and i mean i feel like as as people who are actively trying to seek god we are somehow failing if there are those people in our church, in our ward, who aren't part of the club. I mean, I want to give us a pass. I want to say, oh, well, we don't know, and we're not aware, and we're not educated, but at the same time, I feel like, what is the purpose of religion if not to include those that need it most? And Christ taught that, right? Yeah. And I am going through my mind just trying to <laughs> figure out who I've done this to.
3: Who, well, how many people are forced out of, in, out of the club too that, that would naturally belong but they make some mistake and they instead of being embraced where they would become even stronger even part more of the club. Out. They it's almost like you make one mistake and people find out about it. You know, if they find out that some guy had some pornography thing or what if some boy decides not to go on his mission? How is he ever going to be in the club? I mean, you're not. Why can't we embrace those people and love them even more because they're struggling? We don't do that though, because that makes us really uncomfortable and we shun them out. And maybe not everybody does. I'm sure there are a lot of people that don't do that, that look for, that are Christ like and they look for those people and they embrace them and they save them. Yeah. But we've been in how many wards?
2: (laughs) I can tell you that the majority don't. I think I think you're right. I mean, I think I've I'm looking back at the wards that I've been member of, and I think there have been, well, there's been one, that maybe achieved, the ability to go after the lost sheep, yeah, really yeah. go after the lost sheep, and then I think the other wards maybe have struggled a bit more, and 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 are trying a bit more, um, but yeah, I, I think we do. I think we struggle. We don't know what to say. We don't know how to address those difficult topics, the, the topics that make us feel uncomfortable. And I think we are afraid of sin. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We're afraid of difference. Yes. We're afraid of
3: I think things that look youth, different than us. I think yeah. with our right. youth, we're particularly afraid of speaking of anything like that for fear that we'll put an idea in their head. I guarantee all of us know that what we learned going through high school, there's nothing these kids do not know about sin. They know it all. But we don't talk, we're not going to let on that any of that exists because, wow, what if they, will it make them do it? And we don't want to, you know, it's just not talking about this kind of stuff doesn't make it not happen it makes it happen in a shameful way and it becomes a real problem instead of instead of yeah. some kid experimenting with alcohol let's say he becomes a drug addict and on heroin because it turned into a shame thing and he was he perceives himself as worthless and so he keeps using for that reason instead of i just wanted to try marijuana once right yeah
0: yeah a little mistake can become a huge manifested big problem because Nobody talks about it. It's not accepted. And so when it, when something little happens, you like Jeff said, you feel so much shame. It becomes way bigger than I think it.
2: Like, let me should. let me let me see if I can understand what you're saying. So you're saying that shame takes a problem and makes you feel as though that problem is insurmountable and you can't overcome it and you can't it isn't little, it's huge. Yes,
3: I mean a lot of times we don't make a mistake because of self worth. You know, I, I'm I'm better than that. Like you could talk about the people you see at work, but I mean eating disorders, things like that. You you do these things because because of the shame and the sense of worthlessness in yourself. That and the shame is the key. And I've heard a lot of pornography addiction is a hot topic in the church. Shame is the key to that. Yeah. Addiction, being even labeled an addiction. And they habitually go back to that because of shame, worthlessness, and then a return back to that. Take the shame out, and it could have been just a small term problem that people are loved out of and they become stronger. I don't know.
0: When I think if people would just talk about it a little bit more, it would seem like you're not the only one that's going through this. You know, you can get through this. There's people who support you, but when you feel more isolated and feel like you're the only one, you feel worse and you feel bad. Like, it's just me. I'm a horrible person. Nobody else is going through this. You know, everybody else around me in the church seems perfect and wonderful. And I'm the only one that's having this issue. And that makes the issue become bigger again because of the, not only the shame, but because of the isolation and that, you know, and that comes because nobody's talking about it.
2: So I want to know about your testimonies, because I think pain takes a toll, right? Mm -hmm. Did you start, did your ideas of God start to change
0: in this time? Well, my view of God, I didn't, I don't feel like was changing through all of this. I still, you know, I wasn't praying as often, but I was still praying. I felt like he was still there, you know, um, I started to move away from he's punishing me to, this is just this is just what's happening. and it's nobody's fault and it's just what happened. And um, I feel like my relationship with God never changed through all this.
3: Maybe your perception of how he works and stuff got better in fact. Yeah, day.
0: yeah, I think like, you know, instead of thinking he's punishing me, I'll only get blessed if I do X, y, and Z. I started to move away from that, but as far as like believing in him, feeling like he's still there, feeling comfort from him, I that never changed for me.
2: Do you feel like the church, the the gospel and the the doctrine or the theology of the church provides a way for members to see things differently? Like do you know what I'm saying is 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 it enough? Is what we teach and the gospel is that enough to help people include the lost sheep
3: I don't I don't think no. it does and I think it centers on the things we've talked about I think there are still going to be examples of people who do this the right way but I think the problem gets back to this whole perfection thing you think about Other Christian religions, like you may even hear of some lead pastor of some entire church. That would be like one of our apostles who commits adultery or something, the fall. And then they're back again. They're re-embraced by their fold. Can you imagine if one of the apostles committed adultery, was excommunicated, then worked his way back, rebaptized, and was an apostle again? There's no way. I'm not saying that they should be allowed that. But it's the concept of... That person, instead of being shunned into the garbage pile, was loved, embraced, and came back even better person.
2: I'm laughing only because, like, the absurdity of it, right? Yeah. Well, that's an extreme <laughs> like example,
1: the, but right, no, I but used that's to think, I...
3: there's no way, you can never... But then I'm thinking, why can't... If we believe in the atonement, if we believe in true forgiveness, that you will forgive it all, that it's not our place to judge, why couldn't an apostle commit adultery... Rebaptize and rise back right. to being that Right. Well, servant. and we
2: have we have examples in the scriptures. So. <laughs> instead of a
3: testimony meeting, I know I've I've studied other churches and stuff, and I've attended them with friends when I was growing up. But instead of a testimony meeting, you're going to get up and have a confession in front of other people and talk about the things you're doing wrong. And I'm not saying that's the way to go, but the fact that they can safely come up and and not just say, oh, I've told a white lie and I had some mean thoughts, let's... They get up and they say, I did. What if somebody got up in testimony meeting and said, you know, I looked at pornography this week. I've really been struggling with it. I'm trying so hard. I need help. And everybody embraced and loved that person. They'd be shunned out the building. I mean, right. we need to love people and know everybody's making mistakes. I mean, everybody, and it's not just little white lies. And it, people make big mistakes. It's part of, it's part of growing up and being a, a person. And it, <laughs> we just gotta love people through all that, and not just mistakes. And in our case, it wasn't a mistake per se; it was difference. We cannot just embrace the people that are like us and the the Disneyland mold of happily ever after, and and that fit this image of what we think it should look like. I mean,
0: I think that's what we're missing in our conversations, and our lessons, in our culture—just
3: reality. And that's what creates this. Just, I, I just, it's just unreal level of perfection, and I think that's also what creates this this issue with, I mean, how much <laughs> we have more plastic surgery, we have more, I mean, Utah's leading it in prescription drug abuse, and, and because it's an impossible pursuit. We cannot achieve the level of perfection that we're all pretending that we already have achieved Right. every week in church. It's so fake. The whole thing about the sticks can't break if you have a bunch of sticks together, because we're all stronger together. But that only is if you're supporting each other. It's not just because you hang out. And it's
0: only is if you're all doing what you're supposed to be doing and what everybody feels is culturally acceptable.
3: If not, you throw that stick out of the bunch and let them break, be stepped on. Who cares? Because they'll make us weaker as a whole. I
2: I don't know. The thing that I have been impacted the most just sitting here having this conversation is I'm going to start always asking myself the question, are they a part of the club?
1: Yeah.
2: Right? Because I know... I mean, all of a sudden, I'm like, I am a part of the club. And I mean, people would laugh about me saying that in my ward because, um, you know, my situation with my ward is always like, oh, is she, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she or isn't she, right? But, but I am a part of the club. I mean, I've got four kids and we look like the family and my kids go to primary and I want them to and... And we're trying to develop this relationship with the world and people. I look like I look yeah. like someone, and
0: You're who embraced. is? Yeah.
2: I mean, I I think that I'll never be able to forget that because we do. I, so many of us just we are like, yeah, we are we are a bundle. We're, we're a stick in that bundle. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that question becomes profoundly important.
0: Yeah, and I do want to reemphasize, I think, you know, obviously our story is with infertility and some other issues. But I do think, you know, people who've gone through divorce, broken homes, you know, a lot of, there's just so many people who feel out of that club. And we're just one example of many examples that I think people are feeling. But, you know, again, nobody's talking about it.
1: Right.
3: And then lessons, they may, you may perceive these people as angry or whatever, because they, they're sitting alone. And how would you feel if you were sitting alone, if you're the only person not sitting by somebody in the back of a priesthood or even in the front?
1: Right.
3: Are you going to be outgoing? I just would sit quietly. I wasn't mad or anything. But what, what, I just always wondered, what did people think of me? But I just think in church, there should never be somebody sitting there by themselves. I mean, right. you won't even notice them half the time, I'll bet, but look around and see who's sitting alone, and maybe they look like they just don't want to be there. Well, I didn't want to be there, but you could have helped me wanted to be there if you just sat by me and made me feel like I was cared about.
0: Right, And it may feel uncomfortable and it may, you know, you may think, oh, well, they just want to be alone. I'm not going to bother. I'm not going to ruffle any feathers. And I do think, you know, people need to step out of their shell and do things that aren't comfortable. Talk about things that aren't comfortable. Um And I think that would help so many of our problems in the church if people did that.
3: Well, and if somebody had come and started talking to me, my first reaction might have been a little bit hesitant and a little bit skeptical as your motives, you know. I, it
1: right. may have taken
3: me a second to warm up, but I sure would have. I mean... Right. Just because I guess I was so unused to it, but right. it never happened, so I guess it doesn't matter.
2: Right. And I also think, you know, I, I've i been that person that that's, is sitting alone. Um. And uh, there have been times when people have come and sat down next to me to outreach and, and said the exact wrong thing. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, yeah. They, they make they make the right choice to come over and put forth the effort. Yeah. And then they open their mouths and the worst possible thing comes <laughs> yeah. out, right? You're like, stop. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're like, oh, <laughs> stop while you're ahead. Yeah.
1: But
2: I... <laughs> I think probably the risk, risking, is better. Oh, right? yeah.
3: To me, if anybody, yes. the, the act of even coming over, showing that you were interested, that you actually cared enough about me to take that, because I recognize that it's not comfortable always for people to do that. Right. But, but you know, I, I think I'd be in a very different position right now if anybody had cared about me. And it's not their fault, Um you
2: know. they didn't know and they've been yeah. they've also been a part of the club and unaware and yeah. not realizing yeah. but still I want people to take responsibility also for for ignorance
1: yeah. Yeah. and I'm
2: feeling ignorant really I'm sitting here feeling like I've acted in ignorance and yeah. i don't I don't want to use that as an excuse because I feel like my come from is. I feel like there shouldn't necessarily be room for that excuse.
0: Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I feel like the main thing, you know, why I contacted you, why I wanted to do this podcast is so people would start hopefully that it might make some people think that we need to talk about these things. We need to, whether it's with the just with each other in conversation whether we incorporate it into our lessons you know in primary young women's young men's and so on that we talk about these things that we normalize that there are issues out there and they're not all hush hush and if people are having problems embrace them don't think that they're there's a lost cause and let's we'll just pray for them and and that's all we can do um that people will start having conversations. And I think that that is the only way that will change this culture because I feel like we are drilled this message from the time we were in primary all the way up till we die and we're gone. And I really think that it's damaging so many people. And it's just, again, it's something that's not talked about. Right. So I just hope that people will start talking, realizing introspective, and you know, be a little bit more introspective of how they can maybe help make a change because it all starts with just one person, make you know, making different choices. Like I said, talking about it in lessons, talking about it with each other, and not having it be a taboo subject. Embracing somebody that might be struggling. um, so
2: yeah yeah well thank you i feel like it's been good for me this conversation (laughs) and i'm really glad you reached out and you were persistent (laughs) 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 um and i i hope that our listeners um have enjoyed it and been able to kind of ask themselves that same question too about if they're members of the club or not and i i'm sure so many of our listeners have been able to empathize and been in similar types of situations, but this is a good one to refer to your mom or your sister or a friend or a relief society president, I think. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to put that plug in there for our lessons listeners to maybe share this podcast with, um, with other people in their ward and or leaders, maybe a bishop or an elders quorum president or something needs to hear your story. Um, And I want to thank you for letting me come into your home again. And it's been a pleasure. And you've been listening to A Thoughtful Faith. My name is Sarah Collette, and I've been joined today by Amy and Jeff.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us today on A Thoughtful Faith. To discuss this podcast, check us out at a thoughtfulfaith.org. The music from this podcast was generously donated by Lisa Frazier. Hear more from her at LisaFrasier.com
1: Melodious above I'll praise the